0: Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find a written version that has links to all the stories we're about to discuss. Let's go to our first piece of the week. What's the evidence on trans youth policies? The Society for Research and Child Development published a review of the evidence on how policies impact the health of transgender youth. It's a timely piece given the wave of anti-trans youth legislation that has been making its way through state legislatures. Studies show that overall transgender youth have higher rates of mental health issues than do their cisgender peers. However, these disparities are greatly reduced or even eliminated when students have access to gender-affirming care, receive support at home, and are able able to socially transition at school and in their communities. Policies that can bolster inclusion in schools include non-discrimination policies, allowing name and gender marker changes in the student records, access to facilities and sports teams that match the student's gender, and, of course, training the school staff so that they can have healthy conversations about gender identity and provide support to those who need them. So, in other words, as is not surprising um, to advocates, the, the type of laws that have been making their way through a lot of states, things that ban trans students from participating in sports, that prevent them from accessing gender-affirming care, etc. Um, and even the the Don't Say Gay bill that's been making its way through the legislature in Florida, none of these things have um, scientific evidence to back that they, that they help youth. And again, not a surprise at all to, to those of us who, who follow this field, who are affected by it, who, who research in this field. Um, but it is uh, always good to have scientific evidence on your side, even if that's not what everyone wants to listen to. Next up, interesting factors tied to birth outcomes. Staying on our topic of uh, policies impacting health, Columbia University shared new research finding that there was an association between risk for preterm births and uh, decreased birth weights and what the researchers called structural heteropatriarchy. They defined this by looking at whether an area had positive or negative LGB policies, whether they had good or bad reproductive health policies and funding, and relative equality or inequality um, regarding women's socioeconomic opportunity. They found that in areas with negative policies and poor opportunity, there was higher risk for these negative birth outcomes, you know, for for, uh, higher risk of preterm births and decreased birth weights. And these are issues that, of course, can lead to lifelong health problems um, for some who are, who are born with them. Moreover, this uh, disparity, this issue is true, regardless if someone felt personally affected by these issues or not. So researchers say this is evidence that a lack of social equality and opportunity can impact health in ways that might not even be apparent on the individual level. It also shows that everyone stands to benefit um, from having a more inclusive society. And now our next story, non-discrimination rule on deck again. In yet more policy news, WebMD reported that the Biden administration has proposed requiring insurers to not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity and the benefits that they offer to patients. Such rule had been included uh, in the regulations during the Obama administration, it was removed by the subsequent administration, and now it's back as a proposed rule again. Some insurers have always concerns that the rule could prevent them from limiting coverage based on what they say is um, is quote-unquote evidence or to limit costs from going up. While advocates say it's necessary to prevent plans from not covering services for LGBT people that they cover for everyone else. And of course, we've had some examples of that on the podcast, things like fertility benefits for different sex couples um, that are totally different than the fertility benefits offered to same-sex couples, or often in the case of trans healthcare, services that are covered for cisgender people that are banned for transgender people. So um, it'll be interesting to see if the rule gets reinstated, but certainly difficult for, for LGBT health advocates and LGBT folks to see this go back and forth every four to eight years. And next up, trans woman sues for jail assaults. Gay City News reported on a transgender woman who is suing the city of New York after being repeatedly assaulted in a men's jail where she is being held. Corrections officers did not intervene to help her during the incidents, her suit claims, And while she was temporarily moved to a women's facility, she was then moved back to a men's facility because of quote unquote security concerns. Violence against trans people facing incarceration is sadly not uncommon, and the city and state of New York have faced scrutiny for conditions there. Next up, incorporating pleasure into sexual health interventions. Plus One published a study that found fairly little research on incorporating considerations of pleasure into sexual and reproductive health interventions. This is despite the fact that pleasure is obviously a major factor in sexual behaviors and decision making. Most of the studies that they found looked at higher risk populations, which generally includes LGBT individuals, and they tended to use uh, condom use as one of the outcomes to see how well the intervention worked. Overall, the research suggests that including uh, considerations of pleasure had a positive effect on higher use of condoms, which means that more intervention should probably take pleasure into account um, and also, uh, you know, be studied in the literature to see how that could uh, help advance sexual and reproductive health. And our final story of the week looks at experiences of trans women in Brazil. Transgender Health published a study of trans women living in Rio de Janeiro, and found that prior experiences of discrimination and violence were associated with having had symptoms of depression. While not surprising, the result is disturbing, especially given that a majority of participants had experienced violence, and nearly all, 96%, had experienced at least one instance of discrimination. Additionally, resilience seemed not to have uh, had helped as much in these experiences as one might hope. You can read the full study if you want to see how resilience kind of came into play here. Um, But, you know, definitely, you know, as with a lot of the research um, that we review here on the podcast, not shocking that someone who's experienced violence and discrimination um, would have symptoms of depression. But just a reminder, all of those policy changes that we discussed at the beginning of the podcast in several pieces, um, that those really do have a, a health impact because when they're not in place and when uh, discrimination and violence are, are allowed to kind of run rampant, um, this is the outcome that we can expect on the health of our community. Well, that concludes another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you would like the uh, links to any of those stories that we've just discussed. And I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and tune in next week for a new edition.